I'm from Australia, the land down under. I am from Brazil. Hi, guys. I'm from South Africa. Tell me something. What would you say if you knew the world was listening? My boss and his wife are terrible people. I mean, I love my man and all, don't get me wrong, but dude is worthless. <laughs> get back in the loop on What's the Word, the international show of word of mouth. You can find us by keying in What's the Word at Acorn Studio. The Big Late presents. Hello, I'm Sean McDonald. You're listening to Pleathered, and my guest is Martin Compton. In this episode, we talk about the new series of Line of Duty and the challenges of filming under strict COVID regulations. Martin talks about the pressures of fame and constantly increasing scrutiny from both press and public. And we also reflect on setbacks and rejection and the invaluable benefit that they can provide to your internal development, both professionally and personally. Leathered is written, recorded and produced by me and me alone and it's grown through word of mouth. So if you enjoy this episode, feel free to share it because it's a great help. Cheers. Right, Martin, we'll start with the formalities. So my mum and my auntie Michelle are fighting it out as to who fancies you the most. So just cons- <laughs> consider this, right, a formal offer of a square go, because I'm not having that, the disrespect. Nah, 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 mate. Well, I, I think we could do better. You're, you're, you've been a good son and brother there standing up for you. Too short for two people to fancy us. For, uh, for any non-Scottish listeners who require a translation, a square goes fisticuffs at dawn, Queensbury rules. <laughs> Uh, now, without being sycophantic, it is an honour to have you on, mate, and have a chat. Um, so, I, I suppose we'll just kick right off with Line of Duty. New series is coming soon. Aye, aye, mate. Welcome to the official junket. Um, it's, it's exciting, terrifying. Um, so, we start in a couple of... It will be on TV in a couple of weeks, I think. Um, it's, it's a strange one. You know, it should have been out last year, but with everything going on, mm. it was a really... We, I think we'd start filming about a third of the way through when, when the, the pandemic hit and then we had to stop filming. Um, very s- surreal times, as it was for everybody, but, you know, just kind of filming, but knowing we were going to get shut down, it was just sort of hanging over you, just a strange atmosphere. Mm. And then kind of people being told, right, you'll be, you'll be gone for two weeks, three weeks, and then we'll get you back. And that turned into seven months. Was and it? then, um, so it's weird to pick up Seven months later, I mean, because there's there's one specific shot that I'm I'm interested to see because literally we so the scene is me and Adrian who plays Hastings talking outside a police station, and then the scene carries on in me walking around the corner. But we only got to film the half of it, so literally on screen it'll be me walking around the corner. But there's seven months between the shots, mm-hmm. and I I mean I, it was just a bastard because. I'd just come on to Line of Duty off the nest um, and had my top off quite a bit in that. And also, um, just the, the character was going through a really stressful time and had a very, very exciting but stressful sort of a lot going on in my personal life at the same time. So I was in good shape. I was raked thin, probably not been that thin since I was a teenager. And that's the way I started Line of Duty. And I've got these lovely, well, it's took me about six series to get there, but lovely tailored suits that you start. And then seven months of lockdown, the same as everybody else, you know, fucking indulged a bit too much, had plenty of vino. And then when I got back for the quarantine, I asked them to leave my suits and just to try them on. And I couldn't get in them. I literally couldn't get them buttoned up. And I, that was just because I thought going into quarantine, uh, as everybody having a busy home life, I thought I was just going to be scoffing dominoes and wine and Netflix mm. for a couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden you're on a bike for two hours a day, eating soup and drinking water and this sort of sort of brutal crash diet trying to get yourself back so in all those sort of situations it was it was a it was it was a heat wrecker I mean I'm under no under no illusions how lucky we were to get back to doing our job um that's one of the sad things right. as well which might come back because uh, I love Belfast it's a cracking wee city it's it's really became a big part of the show and somewhere I've spent a lot of a lot of my adult life now and um and to see we businesses and we locals that we all love just shutting down. It's just heartbreaking. And I'm in Manchester at the minute. And it's the same here, just 
kind of going and walking to little spots and stuff that we're looking at little places that we used to hang out and they're all going under and it's it's people's livelihoods that are going with us. So that's the kind of thing which I think when because people kind of uh, are getting all excited and rightly so about the vaccine coming and getting back to normality. But for a lot of people, it's never going to be back to normality. Mm. You know, their livelihood's gone. I know it's grim, it's constant. And you kind of even feel like a selfish perspective, like here in Glasgow, if I see wee food places or bars going under and you think to yourself, oh, I'm absolutely gutted at that. I love going there. And then you kind of think, oh, hold on a minute. Well, if I'm gutted, how gutted are the people that own it? Because it's, no, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's absolutely that, mate. My mom, my mom works for the council and she's telling me some heartbreaking stories of other people on the phone, you know, saying that they've worked their whole life and all of a sudden they can't pay their mortgage. And maybe anticipated this. I've had mates lose businesses. So, I, it's, it was a strange one coming back because even within our industry, not every job could afford to take the risk to come back because mm. if you get shut down again, that was probably a kaput. So, was it was again... A... Sorry, on you sorry. go. No, it was just again coming back, sort of that hanging over you because you're getting tested two or three times a week and you're just terrified of... It was just a relief for every positive test come back because if you're the one that tests positive and you have to get the job shut down and you put 60, 70 people at a job, you know, it's a lot hanging over you, but we managed we managed to get through with it. And again, it's it was difficult because it's such a social job, line of duty. You know, we're all best of pals and we're out every other night for dinners or in each other's places. And you couldn't do any of that. You were literally sort of work or locked in your flat for three months away from your family. And it's, I said it's that, it's that kind of balance of you're very grateful to be back to work, but it wasn't easy. Mm. I feel like obviously as well because you're going between characters and you just come off of playing Dan Docherty in the nest mm. you must have had that first day back at school thing but then like when you when you then eventually did get back to filming the first day back at school feeling but it probably never fully lifted because as you say you're not getting to sit and talk piss to Vicky McClure or, or like just the way, <laughs> you would, the way you would normally go about things well it's the one job it probably doesn't feel like first by school because I'm actually I'm, I'm about to start two jobs in a row here and it is definitely that feeling of hanging over here meeting everybody in that game for the first time but that's the one job where, where we're all we're all giddy to get back mm. you know what I mean we're all busting to see each other um, and we all know I mean we've been doing this we've been doing this over 10 years now mm. so the kind of one where I felt one that people kind of felt for just on a social aspect obviously there's a lot bigger things afoot here but the Kelly McDonald and the lovely Shalom coming in um, who are two big parts of the show but we didn't get you integrate as normally as we would, you know, mm. and it's kind of, you couldn't take them for dinner to get them settled and you couldn't take them for a bevy and have a laugh and them interview scenes we do are, are mammoth and it's it's always a tradition, like once we get one in the bag, we all go for a big dinner after it and not being able to do that, it's kind of, and rap parties is something, I mean, I was always... I was always partial to a rap party, maybe maybe a bit too partial, but I was getting to an age now where I was probably missing as many as I was going to, but just because you're travelling the next day and I don't sometimes I don't know when to stop. And um, but now I'll never take it for granted again, just because it's just a great opportunity to say thank you to everybody, like mm-hmm. the people in the office that are running your life, the the catering, the the locations department. Once you don't interact with on a day-to-day basis but have such a big part of the job it's a part for everybody to get together and just so to say we got there so you just felt a wee bit like it ended and you put your mask on and jumped on a plane Mm. and and just silly things like we always we always do a big dominoes order for all the crew just on a cold night when we're getting to the end and you can't do that because nobody's allowed to share food so it just it really took away a lot of tiny wee touches but said well, we're lucky just to be back at it and hopefully it turns out all right. Oh, mm. I keep saying as well, like not to downplay or to overlook the severity of the things that have happened to you. Mm. Losing lives and businesses and all that. But if there is mm. at least trying to find, I don't know, a glimmer of light in the darkness, it's maybe that there's been a wee realignment of priorities for people, as you're saying, you're getting to, or you'll never take the rap parties for granted mm-hmm. again or, or getting to share those, like a Domino's at three in the morning and the pissing <laughs> rain with, with <laughs> cast and all, or with the crew <laughs> stuff. So if there's anything good to come out of it. In terms of, the viewership of the show is massive, and when you look at the numbers, it's it's like it's doubling 
every series and it's now up to just under 13 million tuning in each week it's like a quarter of the UK do you ever sit back and go fuck man like that's a lot that's a, that's a lot of people um, I, well I because I think maybe I'm a bit of a pessimist at times or maybe not a pessimist I just um, as we had a we pre-chat maybe something that we were t- touched on is when you're on top which our, our football team has maybe just been getting don't get complacent yeah. um, we, we've got near right every year to turn up and the show will be a hit with viewers to add on so I always worry in the back of my head is this the one um, it always starts with the scripts and the scripts again this year are outstanding so we've got to go there and do the job um, there's sort of I mean it, this will only mean maybe a lot to people outside outside the industry but I'm number one on the cast list and sort of you've got to take that role seriously you know you've got to kind of I feel like you've got to be the one driving the show you've got to be making sure everybody's on their toes and I think that can just come from you doing your own job that doesn't mean you have to you're telling people what to do that just means you turn up every single day you're on your lines you're on time mm. uh, you're not messing about and then people kind of take their lead from you because when people are coming into the show if they're seeing the people who have been doing it for 10 years still take it as serious as ever then they they sort of just fall into that sort of that kind of atmosphere you know and it it's, it's, it's something I do love being part of but as you say we get bigger and bigger every year and I think we're all very aware that um, we've probably got one, two more in us if that if we get the opportunity so you, you do start to become aware of of legacy around it mm. and you want to be remembered of one of the great shows and not remember for a bad last series so we're lucky that we take time between each series and so we're not rushing them out because we, I think we've had the opportunity to do that because the show is su- such a success. They'll just say, to you, go back, here's more money, just keep filming, filming. But we take like usually at least 15 months off. Mm. That gives everybody a time to go do whatever else they're doing, gives Jed time to write scripts. And it means we're all excited to get back. But no, I, I love the character. Um, we're lucky that each year we've got these huge guest stars. This year it's Kelly McDonald and that sort of you up your game when another big name comes in. You know, it's it's sorry for like football analogies all the time, but it's it's like if another big player comes to the club, you want to kind of show what you can do and like you're good enough. And it does just kind of set a standard every year. You know, we've had Lenny James, Danny Mays, Kelly Hawes, Tandy Newton, Stephen Graham, mm. now Kelly. So every year you feel like right, this is going to be different, but it's going to be good. So I'm excited about it. It's but it's terrifying, but also because we had to film it different when we came back. Usually we film it blocks, so you're doing eps one and two with one director, and then you finish that, eps two and three, uh, three and four with one, and then five and six with another director. Because we only got like a month into filming, the way we came back, everything was COVID and location uh, regulations come first. So that meant you had to film by location and not, sort of in story order so mm-hmm. you were filming scenes from one, two, three, four, five, and 6 on the same day and filmed with three different directors in the one day um, and that's I can mess with your head a bit because you don't know where you are in the story um, so you you kind of really got to concentrate then and also like different directors have got different vibes you know what I mean some are really casual and kind of let you get on with it do what you want others are are really prepared, has got it storyboarded and kind of know exactly what they want and jump in between them too. And that's all right if you're dealing with that every day and you know you're getting that every day. But if you're mm-hmm. doing like a couple of years with one and then jump to another and then jump to a third, I can mess with you a wee bit. I don't think people take that into account enough how difficult it is, first of all, even to do it in story order, but for you to be jumping about all different episodes and all mm-hmm. that. And from my own personal experience yesterday, so I was on a podcast this week discussing news and politics and they asked me to film my video for 30 seconds and they said, can you just say blah, 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 listen to this show? Mate, I nearly smashed the house up. Nearly, <laughs> <laughs> you like chewing, seeing chewing the fat when Ford Kiernan's uh, character carried uh, something. He goes, metal. I was just going nuts. So not only are you kind of doing all that, you're doing it in an accent that isn't yours while having to be leading the line. I mean, it's, I, it's, it's, it's tough, mate, but I know, mate, I know exactly what you're saying. Them things, and maybe that's a good chance for me to clear up because I think some people can be 
I mean, my grumpy bastard not getting by, but one thing he does do my nothing, man, the fucking hundreds upon thousands of birthday videos and wedding videos and stag videos you get in a day. But as you say, they take time out of them. So, and it was my missus when I got back, especially like, it was a really good thing, like the charity kind of Zoom elements, keeping everybody together to start one. But like every day there was 10, can you record a question? And my missus kind of told me, she said, look, you're spending you're home for once away from work and you're spending hours a day in that room recording these videos. Mm. I went, you know what? You're right. I'm just like, just turn your phone off. And because as much as it was sort of heartbreaking as it was going across the world and it was sort of weird being sort of sent home from your job, that was time I didn't budget for to get home. Mm. Um, And I'd never get that amount of time at home. So I just try to make the most of it and, and try to kind of, in some ways, because it was a bit the first time anyway, where it was there was a bit of novelty around it. Um, it's kind of a, a free hit where usually I, as an actor, you're on tenor hooks every day because either you're going to a job or you're trying to get a job. So you're just mm. waiting on audition. So you, you can never really relax. Whereas with that, I knew I wasn't going anywhere for a few months at least. So it was the first time I could sort of be all right, just be present here. You know what I mean? I'm just going to hang out with my family and and not do anything else. Whereas usually you're kind of always learning auditions or locked in a room or in talks with your agents going over plans. Sort of The world stopped. Mm-hmm. You know, there was nothing I could plan to do. Must have been shite. Multiple months by a pool in Las Vegas. <laughs> Poor guy, man. <laughs> well, I think, was it? Uh, well, it wasn't the pool season when I first got there. Um, but Every day is pool season in Nevada for Mate, no, it's freezing. It is, um, Does it get cold? Oh, aye. I mean, it was snowing uh, before I left. Aye. No it's way. Snowed, it snowed on Christmas Day. Aye. The pool freezes over sometimes. I mean, in the, it's a, I mean, we're very lucky. I mean, again, I, I don't want to keep saying that, reiterating this, but I understand how lucky we are in this job that if it goes well, there are high rewards. I mean, don't get mm. me wrong, I work my ass off and I feel I'm really good at, my do, at what I do, but there's... I think as you've seen through this, there's obviously a lot more jobs that are a lot more deserving than mm. than acting, but it does allow you if things are going well to to have a place in Nevada where where my wife's family's from. Um, yeah. But I mean, the summers there as well, mate. I can't even. It's the first time I've, because I'm never there for more than six weeks usually. So lock, with the lockdown is the first. It's the first time I've spent a summer there, and it's unbearable, man. It's in the forties. Uh-huh. It's like steam coming off the ground. You literally can't leave the house. Um, so that'll be the last. That'll be the last summer I do in Vegas. We um, there was a couple of things I was going to say. There, one thing I'll just finish up on before we do move on. Obviously, it is right to say there are far more deserving jobs than all that, and you know, like nurses and doctors and key workers mm-hmm. and stuff. But I think everybody can sort of unequivocally agree that if we didn't have things like The Nest or Line of Duty mm-hmm. or films or podcasts, maybe this podcast, and I'm only joking, but <laughs> things that keep people going, like we were all locked up, we were all kind of locked in, and the amount of escapism and enjoyment that that gave people or gives people, mm-hmm. I think is something that, that should be recognised. And while I, I'm not trying to say uh, an actor is far more important than a nurse or a mm-hmm. doctor, there is a level of importance within, we've all got wee segments of our lives in which we sort of need these things or else ah, we would have all like went mental. There's only so many miles I could cycle. Like, <laughs> no, was, mate, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think that came at the fore because when we weren't sure when we were coming back, as I say, at first people were going like, you'll be back in three, four weeks and then three, four months passed and there was still nothing happening. And then that's when the industry started getting a special dispensation. Um, and we were allowed to get back to work. And that was because I didn't really realise just how quickly the content ran out. Mm. Um, like the repeats were on pretty soon. You know, it was only took a couple of months and there was no new shows coming out. You know, um, in some ways that one bit of that worked out for us well, that traces a show that I had on Alibi, which I was really proud of then got bought by the BBC because they just needed stuff to put on that people maybe hadn't seen. Um, But no, I think it has made a lot of people aware that, as you said, that sort of entertainment, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like I'd have been lost without podcasts, going to run or going to walk every day. You need something to keep you entertained. Um, (laughs) The funny thing with the podcast is, do you, um, it kind of reminds me, you ever seen Ratatouille? Aye. See, uh, Christo, he says, 
uh, what is it he says everyone can cook doesn't mean everyone should cook <laughs> <laughs> I think that's aye. very true to podcasts as well aye um, I mean I, I, I might fall into that category before no anybody. no mate because I've, I've listened I've listened to you, you're doing you're doing great stuff um, but it is um, it is funny like it's a great medium I, I do love it that the fact that it, it does mean anybody can get started mm. And then, but I just love the 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 ten emails a day you get. Like, God, I've just started this podcast. It's not going to be like any other podcast. Right. That's what you get every day. But it's it's it as you say, it has been a massive. Like, it's great to see you're killing it. My big mate Craig Parkinson, uh, who does the two shot pod, really like. Uh, I really, really, really enjoy his. Really good. You know, and who who would ever thought that the. And if it were, if you just said, "Look, I'm going to start a chat show," it'd been possible. But if he says, "I've got a mic and I'm going to go interview my mates," mm-hmm. and it, it's worked absolutely brilliantly, so it is a great medium. It's a great leveling medium for for that. And as I says, I don't think it's for everybody. Uh, it's kind of like a banana bread as well. Some will be good, some will be shit. Every, <laughs> every, exactly every, everybody's having a punt at it. <laughs> um, to to kind of now when I said there about the viewership hitting about thirteen million pound. Now you have said previously, and you've sort of named him as an example that you wouldn't like to have the level of fame that James McAvoy has because of the scrutiny yeah. and pressure. However, that's kind of been taken out of your hands. Like I've heard mm-hmm. you speaking before about when you didn't realise that um, a photographer was following you and your wife about, and when she had the nosebleed mm-hmm. and all that. How how does that feel? Because you know, you're kind of getting doorstep, you're getting paparazzi mm-hmm. following you, and you are quite a, a I would say, down to earth, subtle, mm-hmm. not really interested in the mega fame side. How do you deal with it? That 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 particular incident changed a lot for me. I was very aware, um, especially when the show's on, getting followed by paps and stuff. It, it, it's not nice. I mean, if if the weird thing is, if I just saw a camera guy standing there and taking a picture, it would somewhat be, I, I think it'd be easier with it, but it's the fact they're hiding. You know, and that they must be sitting outside, hiding outside your door, following you. And I think that changed because my wife was pregnant at the time, and and then you're getting um, so and that stuff. Actually, Gordon Smart, uh, our mutual pal, was a big help to me, following him, trying to find out the rules and stuff because I was getting, I was getting sort of emails and stuff from media outlets hinting that they know my wife's pregnant and they're going to publish it and. I was kind of finding out they can't, and it was kind of, I was getting different advice from different people, like, no, you need to put it out there, you need to take control of the narrative, and I went, like, get all that pish to fuck, I said, it's it's nothing to do with anybody else, mm. we'll decide when we're ready, and and I, I, I found out, like, they can't technically put it out there without without your permission, so it kind of turned me quite inward with that stuff, and I, and I also, I've said this before, I think everybody keeps saying, I'm, I'm really private about my way. And just because I didn't put the birth on Instagram doesn't it mean <laughs> I'm being private. Like, there was 80 people at his christening. Aye. Everybody who needs to know them knows them. Like, it's just, it's. I think being a new parent is um, it's hard enough. It's great, but it's exhausting. There's a lot of challenges. And living that out in the public eye is just one added stress you don't need. Because, mm. again, there was one... There was one particular instance with the Daily Record, and it was just strange because the Daily Record is somebody I've had a great relationship with over the years. And I remember just being on set, and and a load of the crew coming up to me because they were very aware of how private I was trying to be with it. And they said, "Have you seen that headline?" No, the article the Daily Record wrote wasn't that bad. It was just saying I'd had a win, which is fine. I know people are going to write about it, but they've got mm. a headline on the front that says, "I'm a dad," as if I've given them an exclusive. Aye. And that really pissed me off to go like, don't use my wee one's birth to try and punt papers. You know, mm. it's one thing if you're writing about it, but don't make it out as if as I'm, if you've ran I'm as if I'm, I've I've said something to you because that's that's not who I'm. And still, you've never had, I've never had an apology for it. Um, but that's that's the kind of come thing that comes with the game. But then it just that kind of upsets you because you think daily record or whatever it's it's home turf. You know, you kind of. We all kind of look after each other, but it's it's a learning curve that 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 maybe no, and so that's why I don't I don't feel like I'm being really private about it, but I feel at the same time as if you are private about it to an extent that you're not putting your family life on social media, then people kind of tend to respect that and leave you alone more. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't they don't chase you as much. I definitely feel when it first 
Um, there was people were getting kind of hounded about it. I think people, journalists now kind of respect that I don't really fancy it and I don't really want to talk about it. We're not ready to talk about it. And and they just sort of leave it be. But it is strange, mate. I mean, that's one of the, I mean, I'm, we're very lucky that um, we're able to split, uh, split uh, where we stay. You know, we've got a place in Scotland, a place in Vegas, and I spend maybe 70 75% of my time in the UK obviously because I work here and so it's great for me I can go home to Greenock and, but with this job as well you need because I'm on location so much of the year like it's something I've quickly realised when you're having a family like your your wife needs her family around her she needs support mm-hmm. you know um, so but the thing what I've learned to love about Vegas which we moved there for a very we got a place there for a very practical reason but it's, I love the anonymity. I love mm. walking down the street and nobody bothering you. Don't get me wrong, everybody's been great to me, um, really supportive, but it gets overwhelming, man, going into Tesco's and you can't even move 10 feet. You know, it's, it, it, I think I've went a bit inward with it. it. It gets, it gets quite stressful. I mean, there was one, and there was one particular incident when, it, when the show was on and it was getting, it was really intense and I was filming in Manchester and I, I felt like I couldn't move. Um, there was paps at the door waiting on me every time I walked to it. Anytime you went to a bar, it was just sounded and I went, I'm not thinking I need to get home to Greenock. And I just said to the producer in the world, and I said, go. And I said, because I just I need kind of my, my familiar surroundings. <laughs> and then we went out to a pub and again, it was just a bit mental. And I remember I was I was driving out of town and I stopped at a petrol station and one of the attendants were say, stayed like, can you come up and see Manny? She's, she's <laughs> God, like, Golden told me about this. <laughs> but she's like, she's really sick and she's got, I think she was saying she's got dementia and I'm like, I was kind of like, well, what, what do you want me to, I don't know what you want me to do, you know, and it's kind of like, like, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm leaving town to get to work and it was like, no, you need to come up and then it was like, the judgement because you didn't. Aye. You know, and then you just, then you're, you spend the whole drive down going, am I a bastard? Like, Aye. should I have done that? But then, with a lot of these things that I feel which I've learned especially with the videos and stuff you guys to do it's never really for the person they say it's for it's for the own person's gratification asking you know Aye. and that's one thing I always say I had one guy approached me and said look um, it was actually through through a mate he said he's got this stag speech I need he says would you help out I says okay I'll, I'll help out if it's for you it's for a mate he had like a five page script he wanted me to learn. And I was like, mate, see if my best man turned up with something like that, I'd be fucking raging. You've asked to be best man because you know stories about your pal. You're there to talk about him, not to show off that you know somebody. I, 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 it's just, it's a strange thing, mate. As I say, I'm very grateful. A lot of good things come with it. Um, like getting getting nights, a lot of places I've been able to take my mates, have some great days out, a lot of places to take my family, but I definitely feel it's starting to get to that stage where it gets a wee bit out of hand and that's where actually Vegas is great because, mm-hmm. I mean, my neighbours are plumbers, they don't give a fuck at you. It's a bit of a rock and a hard place because there's that whole Scottish mentality and I suppose every area will call it their mentality but there's a Scottish mentality of the minute you're like, ah, I'm sorry, but I can't, then people go, oh, I think you're fucking big time, man. <laughs> see, the, the last year, I mean, the last year asking you to go and see the family member with dementia, is that, it's like, you, you just turn up and the person would be like, who the fuck's this? Well, who the fuck are you? Exactly. I've like, like, never I seen get, you in my life. Like, and you get videos about, um, oh, I say thing big as well, and again, look, I get it, was more like, my, my four-year-old's graduate primary or nursery now, can you do my video? Like, a four-year-old doesn't have a clue who I am. I know. Right. So what's the? I mean, I feel you feel. I feel like, you're, like you're moaning about it, and it's it's not because I see the good stuff far way out the bad. And mm-hmm. so I'm very lucky that I love my job, and but it's it's even with stuff like Line of Duty now, isn't even as fun to film just because we used to be in all these wee dark alleys and wander about and piss about, and nobody bothered you. Now, mm-hmm. whenever we film, there's a circus following us. You know, there's like. 10 photographers and it's just on practical terms when you're doing a scene they're just the shutters are going off constantly mm-hmm. so the sound is getting ruined and you're very aware of like say it's an intimate scene and you're like I, I don't want to re-record this in six months but with them shutters going you're going to need to and you can't you're scared to have a laugh as well 
because you're, you're worried there's somebody watching what you're saying and and there's always some stupid picture of you like making a daft face you know so That's instead of us use. hanging about Belfast in the street and usually having a laugh you're sort of ushered straight into your car you know it's but again, that's what comes with it. And if you're asking me, would I would I rather we we weren't as big a success? I would say no. So sort of short and long, I'm moaning for nothing. Hi, a double edged sword. I think you're, you're you're quite entitled to it. Would drive you nuts. It would drive you nuts. I think it's it's easy for people to look in and go, oh, what's the problem? You've got money and you've got this. It's not really what it boils down nah. to. So, but I mean to. To, to go back to the origins then, before any of that fame kind of came about, there was something that I was really, I was like happier believing like serendipity and fate and all that, right? And I think sometimes things are just, doors are there waiting for you to go through. So people will probably consider your first encounter with Ken Lotz to be filming Sweet 16, but it was actually a bit before that. There was watching Kez with your dad, but this is a story I loved. The double date that you went on with your pal and it took <laughs> You went to yeah. see a film by mistake if I can introduce it right, so you went to see My Name is Joe, so that's a Ken Loach film for him that doesn't know, set in Postal Park, starring one of the finest actors, apart from yourself, Indeed. to ever come out of Scotland, Indeed. Peter Mullen. Now, talk me through how that felt, because you obviously saw that and it struck it struck a chord with you, didn't it? It sort of resonated with you when you saw the accents and the way people were. I mean, it just, because I said I'd seen Kess and that with my dad, loved it, but I'd never... So we'd went to see something. I don't know what we'd see, but, but my name is Joe was the only thing we could see. And it just blew my mind. Like any sort of Scottish film I'd seen before, right, and being on a film with my mum and dad on the TV, the fact that I could see people talking the way I, I talk, wore clothes that like I wore, and they were on this 20-foot screen. Mm. It, was, it was just mind-blowing. And I was like, I, I was thinking, I didn't know. Like even just not saying in terms of going right away, like, yeah, like, that's what I want to do. But, like, the guys having the kick about and the laugh, having a carry on, I'm like, I can do that. Not like going, I could be Peter Mullen there in the AA meeting and mm-hmm. being all these dramatic scenes, but them pissing about, playing football and having a laugh and all that. Like, I could do that. That's what we do every day. So that was such an eye-opener. And for better or worse, because usually you're running about, I don't know, pretending to be Bond or something, but there's a scene at the end of the film where he, where he gets his aim Obviously, the, the darker ending, but there's the bit where he gets his aim on the David Heyman, the big gangster car, mm-hmm. and he leathers all, all of them with a bat. And me and my mate were running outside, kidding on with this bat fight with everybody, you <laughs> know, that kind of hanging. It was kind of like this warped superhero, you know what I mean? Like this Scottish, like, oh man, I want to be Joe. And that kind of, again, I just I couldn't believe that that that, that stuff could be in a cinema. Mm-hmm. So then the audition came, and um, it was my teacher, Big Gary Harkins, uh, a good pal of mine, great football player, played with Kelly and Dundee. And and Gary's dad was uh, assistant head, but he was a the school football coach as well. And, and he just said, look, and so because Gary's my pal, like we'd, I'd known Joe for years, and he just said, look, there's these additions. Whether he just meant it was me being a cocky wee bastard or whatever, but he said, mm-hmm. there's these additions coming to school and they've described what they're looking for. And he says, and he says I think it's you. And I was, I'd never ever I've mean the my English teacher used to get me to read out plays and stuff and she always asked me to be the dame and all that thing and I'd never did I mean you, your mates were a lie dame mate that's you know what I mean <laughs> for better or worse right, so I'd like never sure. done it <laughs> I know and then um, so he just says I think you should go for it and I said to my best pal I said and he said look I'll tell a couple of the lads to go so you're not going on your own mm. and me and my best mate went in and we just we couldn't believe the last was just like she gave us a wee scenario and we just like had to get wide with each other and hanging. She gave us, I think she gave us 30 quid. And then she says, Do you want to come back for another one in Glasgow? Did that, that was another 30 quid, and then another one and meet and then you meet Ken Loach. And I it was a weird thing, mate. Like I was I'd say of course I'd be nervous and stuff, but I didn't feel out of place. Mm-hmm. I kinda I felt I knew what they were what they were looking for. They they wanted a wido who was clever. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just sort of gave him that. And um I mean, I just and they didn't even really say you've got the part, they just said you're in it. And then sort of as the rehearsals kind of go on and you realise you're rehearsing with everybody, you think, all oh, right, I'm the main guy here. Right. So he doesn't really tell anybody. Um but I was it was a mad time, but as I say, even I think when I got to the Glasgow audition, 
because the first couple of auditions it was just me and my mates but when I got to the Glasgow one there was lads I mean I turned up my track and there was there was lads in like sort of sh- shirts and kind of uh, like blazers and mm. one was in a vocal warm up I'm like <laughs> these have not got a clue Aye. like they were all I mean they were all I'm sure they all went to really good drama schools and some now are, are, might be great actors but they just weren't right See, the funny thing, what you, your quote or what you've described, how you felt about watching My Name is Joe, that's how I felt watching Sweet 16. I think I was maybe 10 or 11 and I just was like, wow. And it's one of the films and it's up there with maybe only one or two. And Glorious Bastards is another, right? But it's just a film that I can watch over and over. Oh, cheers, man. That means a lot. And it's unbelievable. So I, I get angry and offended when people have never heard it. (laughs) <laughs> or when they talk to their big line of duty fans, I'm like, fuck yeah. off. If you don't know who's in then you don't know anything then. Well, that's the thing, mate, mate. It's scary. It was nearly 20 years ago now, I think. Nuts, man. Can't be far off, 20 years ago. You said, um, obviously, your, your start to Ken Loach, but after that it was a rough ride. So there's sort of two quotes, something that Ken Loach said and then something you've said thereafter. So mm-hmm. he said to you, you can have all the talent in the world, but if somebody doesn't give you the chance, mm-hmm. you could struggle. Now that ties in, you've said previously, for every job that you've got, you've missed another 20 or 30. Do you think people mm-hmm. don't realise that, that there is a, an element of constant setback, rejection, having to oh, push totally, on? Mate. All the time. You've got, you've got to be thick-skinned. You really have. Um, I've definitely had barren periods. Um, I got really lucky after Sweet 16. I'd probably had a year or two kind of bobbing about because I, as good as the film was for me, it was kind of then a monkey on my back that everybody mm-hmm. kind of thought I was Liam. Aye. Um, so that was kind of having to get out of that, which why Monica the Glen was massive for me. Um, Monica the Glen was like my drama school, getting that when I was 18, three years on a BBC One show, Sunday night, fluffy TV, mm. um, but working with like Tom Baker and Susan Hampshire. And that's where I learned my craft because Ken films, I don't think I'd have got that job if it wasn't for, not just for Ken, but the way Ken films, because there was no marks around it and all this technical stuff that, I don't think about now. I, I was clueless. So if somebody had to explain to me on day one, like, you need to walk around that corner and stand exactly on this point of the scene's gubbed, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Mm. Um, so the fact I could just be really free and then and shooting in sequence to then have to go back and do other jobs, it was like shooting the end in first on some jobs. I was like, I don't, how do you do that? Like, I don't, I don't know what I've filmed beforehand. But Monica the Glen was a massive grounding for me. Um, but with that, yeah, I said, like, there's so many brilliant actors out there and it's funny when when your mates and you're all going up against each other for the same jobs and you're kind of you're wanting it but rooting for your mates and it's, it's, there's such high competition out there and such wide varying age ranges and it's tough man especially when there's ones when you think you're close but I've I've been very lucky that as I say as Ken says if people don't give you the opportunity Ken gave me the opportunity and Jed Mercurial gave me the opportunity. Um, I never thought anybody would trust me with a to lead a BBC primetime show. And for Jed Mercurial to have faith in me with, with something he wrote, I'll be forever grateful. It's I feel like sort of setbacks or like rejections like that they're they're vital for your, your internal development. And I feel like mm-hmm. if you can harness that in the right way mm-hmm. and take it and think, no, I'll fucking show you. But it can, I, I don't know, maybe it just brings you down a wee peg now and again. When not, not that everybody needs it, but I don't think it's the worst thing in the world because if you're truly passionate mm-hmm. about your craft and you mm-hmm. really love what you're doing, nothing is going to hold you back. No. Like nothing's going well, to stop that's, you. Yeah, weirdly enough, that was the sort of the one that the big moment for me that I was deciding because I hadn't I hadn't seen Sweet Sixteen yet. I hadn't been out, but they got me an agent, so they must have. The, the powers like the producers and Ken and that had obviously seen it and thought I had something so they got me an agent so at that point I still was planning to go play play football mm. um, I was still at Morton at the time um, but the agent said look we're going to we're going to um, set you up a couple of additions in London um, and just go down for them and see how they go no pressure and so nobody knew who I was at that point. So I just went down there and I've, I've got to say, I really struggled. I didn't even, it was still, I mean, you imagine it was getting on tubes with maps and wandering in London with these 80s heads and all, like the phone now, lost. And I was wearing 
stuff that I'd went to a nightclub in Greenock, you know what I mean? And <laughs> you've got all these wee guys in khakis with fucking flock of seagull haircuts and I've got my short wee gel fringe and I went in for one edition. And I mean, I'd flew down, it wasn't cheap. I didn't have a lot of money then and um, got down, went in for the edition and the... Uh, and I started going, they went, oh, no, no, that's that's the wrong side, sorry. And I went, what do you mean? They said, Duck, we, we've sent you the wrong stuff. Here, go read that and come back in in 10 minutes. And I remember thinking, I flew all the way down here. I paid for flights and stuff, and you just couldn't even send me the right things. And then the the, the new sides they gave me was like a two-page monologue of a boy having a, a mental breakdown. And I got so angry. Like, I got so fucking angry. I, sort of, I learned it out of anger mm. and I went in there and I just kind of I can't even remember much about the edition because I was generally kind of blinded by rage with it and I remember getting out and I just I, again that's that kind of I was kind of like how dare you because I think I probably did have a chip on my shoulder like because like I'm from Scotland or something you're not treating and the agent called, phoned and I said look I'm, this isn't for me I said they're so rude um, I, I can't believe that she went you got it I said, what do you mean? And I was only at the door. She said, they've already called. They want to offer you. And I was like, oh, fuck. And I was like, all right. She went, yeah. She said, you start next week. And then that was like, oh, shite. Like, oh, this is mm. real. And the fact, the big thing for me was that none of them knew who I was. Like, Sweet oh. 16 wasn't even in the door. Loach wasn't even in the door. The film wasn't out yet. Mm. And that was then when I kind of went back to to the lads at Morton and said look I think I'm going to give this a crack and again I think there's just something in your gut and not to be negative about these things but I sort of knew I'd found my level at football I wasn't going to go any higher mm-hmm. you know um, whereas it, with that kind of thing and you're hearing mumblings I thought alright I think I, I'd well and proved myself right but I thought even at that young age I'd regret if I didn't see where this went mm. it's just it's amazing to think as well of the sort of near misses that come or that people don't realise you could have been in. So another one I was thinking of, pal of yours who cast you in Red Road in 2006, Des Hamilton. So he, he invited you down for a Shane Meadows production. Tell me about that. Aye. I, okay, um, I went down for This Is England, but it was I think it was called British Bulldog. And that was a massive eye-opener for me to what can... That's why I'm not a writer-director, because it was a great script. It kind of ended quite comically, actually. Mm. Um, and then to see where it ended in the film is, is, is stunning. But obviously, but Shane, I didn't know Shane how much he improvises, and the script's just kind of a basis, and then he'll he'll change it as he goes. But I remember going down, that was the first time I met with Stevie Graham. Um, I, and I thought the addition went really well. I it thought, was for I, the I part of Woody, wasn't it? It was for the part of Woody. And then Shane, honest as ever, says, that was great, Martin. Um, so we'd really want this other guy. <laughs> Joe, Joe Gilgan. <laughs> Joe Gilgan, aye. So this other guy's brilliant. But Joe's, I don't think Joe was quite sure what he wanted to do then. And he said, if if he doesn't if he doesn't want to do it, then um, then we'll be coming back to you. But but, yeah, but I, I would have played that part so differently. I mean, I'm such a fan of This Is England. And Joe mm. is perfect. There is ones you say that, that thing like, what is it for you? You want to go by you and all that? And aye. I, I wouldn't have made that part what it is. He made it such a comical and he's so essential to that group as the leader, but the light relief. Yeah. Um, and I, I wouldn't have played it the same. Well, so there you go for anybody listening who's a fan of This Is England. Imagine the character of Woody being played by yeah. Martin. It's so funny how, it. how these That's things... Is- uh, another thing I wanted to touch on, living away from Scotland, I know we kind of spoke about Vegas, but so I, I kind of get it as well. I've lived away for years in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. I suppose I'll start with this. Now, he didn't tell me this, right? So don't give him a hard time. But I uncovered this through other means. So I heard you were at Gordon Smart's for Tea in the Park a few years back, and it was revealed yeah. to everybody in attendance that you'd never cracked an egg. Sister fucking egg story. And, until you were 30. Yeah. Now, much to the shock <laughs> and amusement of everybody. Now, he didn't tell me it, so don't, don't give him a hard time. But what I kind of wanted to touch on is you obviously moved away at a young age. You went down to London. And mm. would it have just been that there were various things that you didn't go through in the sense that maybe other people would have, um, I don't know, experiences like cooking. No, I know exactly what you're saying, mate. I, like, I was out, I was sort of on the road for I was 17, 18, and working a lot. So you're, you're catering food. Um, 
And also, if I wasn't at work, I was either at my mum's in Greenock, you're getting flipped after you just regress to being 15 when you go back mm. to your ma's. Or I was in London staying with Kyle and all that, and it was just fucking chaos. Um, so That's we were out all the time if we were ever eating. You were either just drinking. Just to, to highlight to people, you're talking about Kyle Falconer for the view, uh-huh. that was your flatmate. A few quiet nights with him then, I assume, every week. A few, <laughs> a few. I've, I've bounced about a few different places. Um, I mean, our first place was at Seven Sisters, man, it was an absolute. I mean, because Kyle decided to paint, and uh, I remember, I'll, I'll never forget this because with these sort of, the living room sort of, there was a two couches facing each other and the TV was like to one's right and to one's left. So with these big white walls behind each other's couch and one was kind of his side and one was my side and I come back to work and the houses had a wreck. I mean, and he's at a party and he's painting and gluing CDs and fucking blood and all sorts of slogans on his side. So I'm just thinking, man, that's the deposit gone. And it was just a point. I was like, ah. so I went to the kit. I come up the next morning he's still sitting on the couch covered in paint. I'm like, wee man, I said, look, you need to get it together here. Like, we're not going to get a deposit back for that. And I can see him just sniggering. I'm getting, and I'm pointing, I'm going, look at the state behind you. And it wasn't until then a clock behind me and the wee bastard had painted my wall as well. And it was a <laughs> fucking mess, like 10 times worse. I But you just, there was moments of joy with him where he'd be just sit on a guitar or on a piano and start writing a song but I, a boy's took years off my life he's got a heart of gold he, I mean, he came actually he came out to stay he was out in Vegas at the start of last year and he came out to stay with me a bit but he's a dad he's a dad now and mm-hmm. definitely calmed down a bit Um, but it was a wild time and living there and then with a great place in Archway and then living at Gordon's and I, mean, I loved it and I really I say this is something I, again I, I quite like to try and keep private nobody's I mean we have a place in Scotland I've got a place in Greenock but I don't like talking about it that much because you do get doorstepped the right. more people you know but it's getting to silly season now again with, with an election coming up and it does start to get on your nerves with um, these these idiots I mean look it doesn't even matter everybody's allowed an opinion mm-hmm. that's that's free speech that's a healthy democracy people talk but it does get on my nerves like oh like, why is he having a chat? He's got, he's got a place over there. He's taking no tax. I pay tax. Every single penny I earn is taxed in Scotland. And I mean full tax. I've never... It's up to my my peers. It's their choice. But they've always been... A lot of my peers, are get, they get paid through companies or pay themselves through companies, which would drastically reduce my tax. I don't believe in it. I believe in whoever earns a bit more, especially in times, pay a bit more. So I pay top-rate tax... You shouldn't get plaudits for that because I think it's the right thing to do, but it's a choice. I could lower my tax by going as a company and I won't do it. Also, it kind of gets on my fucking nerves that if I went to St Andrews or Eton and I had a ski chalet in Switzerland or a villa in the south of France, they'd probably think, certain people would think you're fit to run the country. But because I've done, I'm from Greenock, mm. I'm working class and I've done well for myself and I've got a house in Vegas where my wife lives, my my uh, my opinion is not valid for some reason, and that really does get on my nerves. So with that coming up, because you can already see it. There's, I mean, I get abuse daily um, on Twitter, but you kind of put up with it. It's where we're from, you know. What mm-hmm. I mean, you, you kind of got to be fixing. Most it's football banter, but I've probably crossed the line a few times, having winded people up. So it's not fun at times. It can it, it says it can go a bit dark, but it doesn't bother me that much mm. but what does bother me is when it comes to something serious like that people just kind of talk shite people who have no idea of of your home life or where yeah. you pay your tax or where you live I said I spend 70 75-80% of my time in UK and in Scotland um, I'm like luckily the last few years most of my jobs have been in Scotland so not only am I living here paying tax here working here as well and for some reason, though, because my wife's from Vegas, I'm not allowed an opinion. I think the minute that you, if you make a point or express an opinion in somebody's rebuttal, instead of trying to counteract that or say, mm-hmm. no, well, here's why you're wrong, instead of just saying, well, you don't live here. One, mm-hmm. you're wrong. Two, shut the fuck yeah. up. Three, what does that matter? Four, go fuck yourself. That's kind of how I would. <laughs> well, that's would it, but, but I think, because uh, I went half on a tangent, what I was trying to say is, though, 
I've been very lucky with my job that I've been able to travel the world. And I absolutely encourage any, not everybody gets the opportunity, but if you get the opportunity, go and live in London, go and live in Paris, mm-hmm. go and live in fucking Tokyo, get out and experience the world. Scotland for me is always going to be home. It's where I, where I live. But get out while you're young if you can and have these experiences and meet new people. And because I had loved my time in London, especially for somebody who, was it was an actor and it was maybe something I mean my pals who Greenock are still my best pals that's never going to change they're still the, the closest people to me but you couldn't really talk about sort of French cinema or sort mm. of plays and all that kind of stuff because it's just not there and then weirdly when you get older you realise that your mates are in music and stuff and I'm going oh why didn't you tell me that when you're younger <laughs> we all kind of hide stuff but it was really liberating for me to get to London and sort mm. of um, hang out and no doubt the Groucho will come up at some point, but that kind of world is, it, it was it was vibrant and hedonistic and I, I needed that in my 20s. I really, like, I don't feel like I've missed it. You know, I felt, I, and I think I got very lucky as well at that kind of period of my life, camera phones and all that kind of thing. And I think I've been a good guy through all of it. So there's nothing there, but just, you kind of get like getting pissed and fond in the street with your mates and all that right. stuff now is it's such a it's such a bigger thing. Whereas London ten years ago, you could have a carry on, you could just walk about Soho wrecked and laugh and maybe maybe bothered you. Um I I I I had a blast man in London, I really did. I get it. I've spent like six of the last seven years in Barcelona. Mm. Uh, neighbours with Graham Hunter actually. Yeah, um, I and I I completely get it about having that experience and being away in it at Disney Change. There's actually a quote from Billy Connolly. He said, um, talking about Scotland, and that is, I feel sums it up well. He said, I love Glasgow, but that love has always been matched with a nudge to leave and to see over the horizon. And that pulls me, me a proud citizen of the world, yet there's always a string in my heart that pulls me back to where I'm from. And mate, and that's it. That is absolutely it. It like, just it does draw you back. And I think as you get older and your priorities change. But I think as well what people don't get because people would go to me, oh, we lives in London and or LA. It was a necessity for me. Mm-hmm. That's where all the casting directors are. Aye. That's where all the jobs are. That's where all the additions are. Now, thankfully, I've got to a stage where I don't need to be told to run to an audition on a minute's notice. You know, I have time. And also, technology's changing the world. Everything's done on tape now. Mm-hmm. So you don't need to be London-based. I wouldn't change it. So I'm very lucky now. I am in a position that I can live in Scotland and I can have a place in Vegas next to my wife's family, my in-laws, because again, that's realised having that's something I, I really did hit home before I had a family that when I was in London or LA, I saw how much pals struggled without a support network around them. Um, you could see just having babysitters and like just if your mate with especially if it was a couples who were actors and one was uh, one was away on on location and one was left with two or three kids and getting on with the day and day it's, it's a grind because not only they're away from their family and their friends they feel like they're on their own and everybody else has got their own thing going so my plan was always to get back to Scotland and then I'll but you realise I'm lucky enough that I can do both but when I'm away so much of the year whether even even if it's in local to as aware in the UK, if I'm in Belfast, I'm there for two three months at a time. I realised my wife needed her support network around her, so that sort of became priority. That get her like my mother in law. We both both our places were within five minute drives of our, our, our parents, um, which is really lucky. And it, I, again, I'm under no uh, under no illusions how lucky I'm be able to do that, but. Um, I so sounding like the biggest dick ever. If we do our summers in Greenock and our winters in Vegas, I'll be happy for the rest of my life. Well, you've earned it. Um, just as we kind of, I'm conscious of time, but something I kind of well, do. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm all. We've got time. Yeah, Sorted. we've got at least another fifteen minutes. Sorted. Uh, something that people might be glad to hear, um, and they might have not expected it, but I wouldn't. I, I need to watch what I say, right? Because there's only so much information I can divulge. But what I can say is. Don't rule out transmit taking place at some point in 2021 is what I would say to people. Um, <laughs> there is a chance, there is a very good chance that you might be there. Might not be July, but 
it might happen. What's your memories of transmitting tea in the park? Mate, tea in the park, man. Transmit's been good, but tea in the park was the one. I think I went nine years in a row. Um, and I, I was right lucky that I've had every experience where my first one, I went, I think it was Monica Glen. I think I was 17 or 18. And I went with a crew, it sounds silly now, but we would all been late 20s, but to, at that age, they feel like men and grown-ups. Mm. And I didn't get out of the campsite. I was that wrecked <laughs> for three days. I just, I couldn't, I was trying to keep up, I couldn't. So I missed the entire thing. I was in the campsite wrecked for three days. <laughs> and, um, actually, I don't think I've told this before. Um, I was that wrecked, and it was the hottest summer in Scotland for like a hang it. And I remember lying like, outside the tent. And a wee guy would come up to me and went, you're a wee guy, this week 16. And I went, aye, aye. And I thought, hang on. And he went, check your nose, mate. And I went, what? And he says, it's going a bit yellow. So what do you mean? He says, have you put sun tan lotion on? I went, no. And he went, I see, he says, I may go get some cream around your face. And then woke up on Monday and I'd sunburned right round the whole coupon and I was filming. Oh, fuck. And I remember the, the makeup last day, I come in, sat down. You know what you're trying to just sort of play it off so I just kind of swaggered in like morning everybody like my face hanging off except she wouldn't notice you've got a pure Alex and she just sort of tapped my shoulder and laughed and says um, I'll be back in a bit man and then all the producers come down because my face was unfilmable it was like <laughs> bumped right through so they had to give me a look and they had to give me a look and the problem was fuck I really haven't told this I'd just come back for Ibiza the week before and I'd come back with alcohol poisoning so <laughs> They had to give me time off. And in my time off, I was recuperating. So he said, give me a week off because it was the last couple of weeks of the shoot. Get your head together. So I took the week off, got the ability. Day four, I was tipped up and bored in the islands. Mm. And then that weekend was team the park. And the boy said, well, come with us. So then I turned up at the Monday after the week off, the Ibiza, with a face bumped to a crisp. And then, so and we didn't have any time because they'd been had time off. So... In that series of Line of Duty, the last episode, all my shots are looked through a window or for like 10 metres apart and like away. <laughs> like I'm on a wide lens the whole time. <laughs> but I've had that going right through camping with your mates, just utter mayhem. Some, I mean, there was one, I can't remember which one it was, but there was one particular year when I think Arctic Monkeys headlined the Friday, the Killers headlined the Saturday and Kasabian headlined the Sunday night and that, that was unreal. That's frightening. And then being able to be side stage with Paolo and Atine. Paolo's a top lad, lovely family. But it's mad like seeing your mate just stoning there singing for like 60,000 people. Uh, Gordon took me one. No, I was we were side stage for No Gallagher. He gave us a shout out on stage, which was, I mean, that was. Gordon, I think Gordon showed me either a video or a picture on it. Was, you, was it conducting his backing <laughs> band or something like that? <laughs> Ah, yeah, fuck, I know, man, that video was kicking out. So I was absolutely wrecked, and his choir were warming up, and I went up and grabbed a wee hang, and they just, I just started moving my arms about, but they started doing it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was just, like, conducting this No Gallagher's choir. And, mate, it was, but these experiences, man, I've got a lot to thank Gordon for that, and a lot to thank the job for, because it's great as well, like, so you're really a pals, isn't it? Like, the campsite, campsite on the Friday night was the best thing, when it was only three day hours, because just the anticipation of what's coming. Mm. Um, but then being able to go with your mates here boys here's a couple of bands like let's get, let's, here's a wee gold band for you let's go in here and get a free bevy that's what's great with this job that you get to do a lot of these mental things and you can take your pals with you that's it you want to be able to enjoy it with people talking about enjoying things with pals I interviewed Neil Forsyth right so for him that doesn't know he's the writer of the incredible BBC series Guilt you know what's coming here now I know what this is but I asked him to tell me what's the trousers on in the Groucho Club and he said you know what he said you had to be the one to tell it. It's not like the trousers, for lack of a better expression, the trousers zone stories grew arms and legs. Um, it was nothing that. <laughs> so the Groucho was, I mean, mate, the, so the Groucho was basically. Groucho was a private members club, and one of the. And that sounds fucking swanker than it is, but basically it just, it just means it's, it's a pub for actors and singers and stuff. And so you've got to be recommended to get in. Um, so basically just so suits and lawyers and whatever kind of just come up and, and take over it's got to be for like the artistic community and there's a few of them but the great thing is like you're not allowed your phone out your pocket aye so you're rugby tackled 
that, but that's it. You can relax. You're not because usually in your bevy is always getting people don't mean it, but like, no, they're kind of that with their phone, sort of sneaking pictures or sneaking things in there. You're very aware what happens in the Groucho stays in the Groucho. I mean, because the treasure zone story starts in the snooker room, and I tell you, if if there was cameras in the snooker room over the years, there'd be a lot of career enders because <laughs> the stuff you've seen in there just by walking by and it's mental, but it's it's great. I say it's very hedonistic and it is bizarre seeing these sort of proper A-list stars, but just kind of really letting go, Aye. you know, because they, they, they feel safe. But basically there's the snooker room upstairs where... Yeah, well, there's a snooker table that gets used for a lot of stuff um, in terms of like, there's the, um, <laughs> there's been sort of people in the movie got a bit excited with brothers and kind of be able to get a taxi back home with a, with a partner, shall we say. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's definitely calmed down over, even the Groucho's has calmed down over the years. But yeah, you, you've saw some sites walking by there, but actually we were in there playing snooker um, or playing hanging and just as that stupid game, I mean, we were steaming and, Know that when you're just sorry as you hit the cue ball off the line and you've got to try and get it back up Aye. to the closest to the cushion without hitting it. Basically, we were doing that, and whoever, if you didn't get it back across the line, um, you had to walk down to the bar of your boxers. And that's <laughs> this went on. This started probably like when it was funny at like four o'clock when the place was maybe a bit deep, but by midnight, and you and by that time, Mary Merclays were coming off. <laughs> and the lock was getting longer and longer and when you were coming back your clothes were gone but it was just a bizarre so it was me Gordon Neil Forsyth and you know, Derek Stilly I, I, the goalkeeper I because he played I, for Sealand didn't he that's metal because it was just funny because I, I looked Derek a lovely big guy and I think I seen him he was running for a Tory MP and I was like I saw you was cut up with the grouches in your box so you're a big bastard <laughs> now you're running to be a Tory one of the best ones it was another one of them private member clubs and They'll all remain nameless and details vague because, you know, for green up, we'll know a grass. But <laughs> I mean, it was one of the first times I was in there and somebody took me to one of them clubs and I recognised an actor. I was one of the, an actor, a big actor I'd just done the job with. He says, oh, how you doing me, man? And I says, come up here. I remember going into this room and it was just like A-list of A-list stars, actors, musicians, and just getting up to all sorts. And it was just kind of like, what the fuck? Like, you just, you peered behind the curtain. Aye. You know, it's the stuff you kind of read about in books. And you're going, is this actually happening? And um, I'll never forget, Joe Dempsey, um, who's a brilliant actor, people know from Game of, Game of Thrones, uh, top, top lad, close friend of mine. And me, it was me and Joe, and we were just sort of young starting out. And um, we get invited in. And you're sort of like, right, we're in. Like, you know, kind of sit beside who and who, and you talk to you and watching whatever and you're going what's going on I remember one of the uber famous people had this sort of hanger on guy who's still a bit of a hanger on guy um, and very condescendingly come up to the two of us and said like yeah I invited you young chaps in or something I remember Joe turned around and went fuck off you fat cunt <laughs> <laughs> and the whole place just went silent in this kind of ambience of like yeah we're all in this together all of this and the guy went what he says, yeah, let me fuck off, you fat cunt. <laughs> and I was like, Joe, no, no. And then that way you're just stared and ushered out the door. Oh. I remember getting out and going to Joe and I'm walking down the street and I was going, wait, why did you do that? Like we were in and he went, was he not? <laughs> and I went, I remember it was just the way he said it was so honest. I went, I mean, you're absolutely right. Aye, 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 I mean, just, aye, that was it. And and. He's over the years he's been proved very right. Um, so it's just it's it's a weird world. And I think what I'm getting right. at with that is you get invited in, but it's only good when you take your real pals with you. Because oh, if you get lost in that world, if you get lost in that world, it, it becomes a sort of fake. Um I think you can see a lot of this there's a Notting Hill set or the young Notting Hill set and all that stuff and their lives can get wrapped up in it um, and sort of can lose their identity. That becomes their identity. So it's really good, I think, 
to kind of dip your toe in. And I've had some great nights, but I've been very lucky. It's always been with people I'd consider pals. I, I'd, I'd much rather, I can say with my hand in my heart, complete conviction, I'd much rather sit and have beers in Trafalgar Square with my pals than sit in a club with people that I just wasn't. Exactly. It's exactly it. Because you it's get nothing but feel awkward it. anyway. Aye. Aye. You, you just feel awkward with it as well. And you don't really feel, thing is as well, you don't really feel like you belong. Mm. I know, I sort of justifying being there and all that. Well, I hope we'll get a night out at some point over the next year. Things have got a. Uh, well, things... you just told me transmits on. Hopefully, that's the one. Maybe I'll see you there, mate. Maybe I'll yeah. see you there. We'll Maybe keep I'll you posted. Well, mate, this has been an absolute pleasure. Such a great laugh. Can't thank you enough for your time. And uh, no remember, Line of Duty is going to be out soon. For, uh, are we allowed to see the date? Because this goes out in two weeks. It'll be out on before April. Aye, so keep your eyes peeled for it. Line of Duty's back. Yes, absolutely buzzing. Thanks again, Martin, and thank you very much at home for listening. And I'll see you again soon, or you'll hear me again soon for another episode of Blethered. Cheers. Top man, speak soon. Speak to you soon, mate. Catch you. See you, pal. Bye. Bye. Blethered was written, recorded, and produced by Sean McDonald in association with The Big Light. Music and post-production by Brian McAlpine. And for more information, go to thebiglight.com. If you like this podcast, please check out all our other series, including Talk Media, You Could Start a Fight in an Empty House, Talking Dairy Girls, Brave Your Day, The Tartan Noir Show, Double Scotch, Great Scott, Trust Me I'm a Leader, Unearthed, A Sonic Hug, and Old School. All on The Big Light, Scotland's podcast network. From the Big Light Studio.